there are many for different reasons who appreciate the struggles that these occasions bring. Um, people who are separated from mums by distance or by death. And um, it's one of the realities of the fallen environment that we live in. Um, somebody once said that death is an unwelcome intrusion that never feels right and reminds us of the hope of greater things. And um, we recognize that it's only in Christ that death is made sense of. There isn't anywhere you can turn to, neither science nor other philosophies, ideologies, or religions, where death in an ultimate sense is made sense of because Jesus conquered death. He tasted death. Not just he had a little sip, but he swallowed, he drank it in fully. He was dead fully. And having been dead, he was raised from the grave after three days. And it is in him that our hope lies. Amen? And we understand even on this uh, Mothering Sunday that he is the hope of all mothers. He is the hope of all children. He is the hope of all people, men included. Amen? And we need him. Is there anyone in here who doesn't need Jesus? Silly question, because you wouldn't be here if you really thought that. But the reality is that we need Jesus. And um, we're grateful that God has chosen to reveal himself to us, to make himself known to us. God is so far and beyond our comprehension that we couldn't know him unless he made himself known. When I was growing up, I grew up with my grandmother, for those who don't know, and she used to have a saying among many. One of them was, the hardest thing is to know. The hardest thing is to know. But once you know, it's straightforward. And you know those moments when you go through life and you kind of really struggle to work something out and you, 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 you're racking your brain and it just eludes you. And in that area of things that just remain a challenge, things remain difficult until you know. But once you know, well... Things are straightforward. You, you, it seems so simple, you wondered how you didn't know before. And yet God has made a way for us to know him. And thankfully, it doesn't require struggle on our part. It doesn't require um, any kind of excellence or ability on our part. He has so generously revealed himself to us. Amen. We're looking at a Bible overview which considers that very thing in mind. The fact that God has revealed himself in the person of Christ according to the word of God, according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, both Old and New Testament, not just the New Testament. The Bible is one story made up of little stories, all speaking of one subject. And that is God. And so it's a blessing to um, stand in for Pastor Rob today um, and give our next installment in our Bible overview. We're going to be returning to look at an individual who <clears throat> lived the reality of a struggle in faith. 
He lived the reality of a struggling faith. Now, the Bible speaks quite specifically and pointedly on the need for faith. Knowledge isn't enough. It is actually faith that's required. I can know how a car works. I can know all of the functions of the car. I can understand how the brake system works. Is that knowledge enough to enable me to drive the car? There's a point at which I have to put that knowledge to application, to work. I have to get in the car and trust that that knowledge is true. And the moment that I do that, I am applying faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists, that he is real. And that he is good, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Often our journey of faith is hindered by us not holding on to the last part. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is good? Now some of you are hesitant to answer, and maybe quite rightly so. See, the thing is, we know in our minds that God is good, but do we really live like we know that God is good? And this is the place we see Abraham at. And we're going to be able to relate to him in his struggle of faith and the way in which God met him in that place. We're going to be looking at Genesis 12 to 15. It's an overview. So this is like, um, I don't know which of the football programs it is when they just do the highlights. Match of the day, yeah? That's been on from since back in the day. And it's just the highlights. And so we're going to endeavor to be faithful to the word as we look at key highlights. Let's pray as I encourage you to turn to Genesis. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithful kindness and mercy toward us. We thank you for your love for your generosity, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the way in which you have revealed yourself. And by means of that revelation, we are able to grow, to know, and trust you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us today. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would hear from you, that, Lord, we would not only hear from you, but, Lord, that we would be drawn closer to you, that, Lord, we would trust you with all that is in us. Because truly, Lord, you are the only one who is trustworthy. We can't even trust ourselves. And so have your way among us, Lord, I pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you turn to Genesis, I want to invite you to have a look at um, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And um, Pastor Rob touched on this um, last week. 
Genesis 15, verse 6. God makes a promise to Abraham. And having made that promise to Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord. And God counted it to him as righteousness. God regarded Abraham as being he who was in right standing, right relationship, who was right with God because of his faith. Now, chapter 15, whoa, that one doesn't look so good this week, does it? It's blinking. Um, chapter 15 is preceded by, obviously, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And we see Abraham come to a place in that moment of trusting God, of believing on God. And yet, if you were, you've been following with us in this, you will know that God didn't just speak to Abraham in this instance in chapter 15, but God's been progressively revealing himself, walking with Abraham, working with Abraham, taking him on a journey. Now, how many of you are grateful that God journeys with us? God meets you right where you're at and journeys with you. God doesn't shout down a long road and say, come over here. But he comes to meet us right where we're at and he journeys with us. And this is what we saw. We saw last time in Genesis 11 that God met with met Abraham and told him, leave your people and go to the place that I will show you. And so Abraham gets himself together and he moves out and Lot goes with him. And in chapter 12, verses 1 to 9, God reveals to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now people have often asked, why did God choose Abraham? What was special about Abraham? Abraham was in a place where they were worshipping idols. He is said to live lived in the area of the Tower of Babel, which is um, often known as the, the ziggurat of Ur. Ziggurat of Ur. The place where the people were gathered seeking to make a name for themselves in building a tower unto heaven. And in that area, it is said that they worshipped the moon god. So Abraham was a pagan idolater. He wasn't somebody who was seeking after God necessarily. That was his community and that was his culture. Look where God met Abraham. Where did God meet you? I know certain people, you know, I have the privilege of, of being um, aware of many people's testimonies in a way that maybe you might know each other's testimonies and we need to do more about that. But I know some of you were in a place where you were oblivious to God. You may have had a religious background, <clears throat> but you were living life for yourself. You were going with the crowd. You know, the, the one or two people that um, I've known since their younger years, my family accepted, obviously. <laughs> and um, 
certain people, when I knew them, they were playing for the other side. They were not representing the Lord, but they didn't know him at that point. And if somebody was to look at their life at that point, you might have said, can such a person actually know God? Can such a person be saved? And yet, God met you in that place. Where are you today? You might feel like you're back in that place, even as a Christian. You might look at your life and feel like you're not much further forward than you was then. But God is ready to meet you where you are. God is ready to meet you right where you are. And in doing so, he'll reveal himself to you that you might know him. And in knowing him, you might trust him. And so God revealed to Abraham in chapter 12 his plan to make him a great nation and to bless him and to give him a place. And so as we move on from there, we're going to look at five things in short steps. We'll see how Abraham experienced an afflicted faith. We're going to see how Abraham experienced and demonstrated assured faith. We're going to see how Abraham put his faith into action. We're going to see how Abraham's faith was affirmed and how Abraham was awarded faith. Now in chapter 12, verses 10 to 20, we see Abraham with his wife, and he, obviously he was known at that point as Abram. We know him commonly as Abraham. He was known as Abram, and we see him with his wife heading to Egypt. <clears throat> there was a great famine, and as a result of the great famine, he had to go and seek provision. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And so he moves away from where he was settling in the Negeb. And note that, verse 9 tells us he was in the Negeb. That's where he was headed. He was in that region. The famine strikes. He's detoured, and starts moving to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, we see, we see Abraham face a potential conflict, a test. Remember, you know, I'll tell you something. One of the things that I've learned that has helped me so much in my walk as a Christian one of the things that I've learned that has helped me so much in my understanding of the scripture is the importance of context. Context is everything. I used to be convinced that certain scriptures meant something that they didn't because I was taught them out of context. 
I'll give you an example. I, I gave a different example um, this week at, at, um, at LCM when I was with the training. Binding and loosing. Yeah? Binding and loosing. I'm just sharing my experience. I'm not trying to cause any controversy. But I feel that it might be helpful to someone. No, 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 but really. Now, for me, I was taught from Matthew 16, 18, that you're to bind the spirits and loose the opposite. Yeah? And I was somebody who, and you can ask Pastor Rob, you can ask my wife. I don't even know if my kids would remember this. Bruv. Listen, I always walk with shackles, ready to bind at the drop of a hat. I would bind lust, bind nicotine. I'd, I'd listen, anything that, I, anything that just seemed opposed to God. But I began to get challenged. We started to hear some teaching. Um... There was a brother called Jacob Prash. And brother, you remember Mark Havill? Absolute, listen. Yeah, 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 and, and tapes. Listen, these brothers started to challenge me when I listened to their teaching. I couldn't even look at, listen to Jacob Prash, Yaakov Prash. I couldn't listen to him because he was too raw. I, I was just like, this man's got no love. He's got no grace. This man can't be speaking of God. No, listen, I, but the, I had to go back to it because... As much as I couldn't take his tone, I couldn't deny the truth. And I had to go back to it. And, you know, they would make statements like, so for all of the binding that's been going on, if this truly is biblical, why is it that there is still um, the sex industry in Soho? And why is it that there are still street robberies and muggings and people cheating on their wives. And I mean, if you've bound adultery and you've bound lust and you've bound murder, and you've bound, why do these things still happen? Why are there still terror attacks? And so this began to challenge me. I was just like, okay. On a practical level, there's something dysfunctional here between my, my, my belief and my behavior, my practice and, and my principles. There's, there's something amiss here. But then... They went on to say, look, if you look at the scriptures in their context, you will understand that it's not speaking about binding demonic spirits and powers. But it's talking about church discipline. Now, that was so foreign to me at that point in my, in my walk that I didn't even understand what they said it was about. I was just more concerned about what they said it wasn't about. And as you begin to look at the context, you realize that actually, this isn't teaching and instructing us as Christians to bind demons and loose the powers of God. They would say things like, how can you loose the powers of God as if the Almighty is bound himself? And I was just like, you know what? I need to read this again. And I had to go back and revisit the text and look at it in its context and receive life. And that's part of the Christian journey. That's how the Lord works with us, as he grows us in the knowledge of him. And so as we see Abraham here, we have to remember that the context is God has spoken to him. 
God has met him. God has promised and he has assured Abraham, this is going to be your future. And yet, Abraham gets to Egypt and it's not even that he meets trouble in the first instance. He just suspects there's going to be trouble. He's suspicious. He feels vulnerable because he goes to move among these people and as he goes there, he goes with this very beautiful wife. You could even say she was a beauty queen. Mother's Day, isn't it? <laughs> and, I, and I would even go as far as to say, hold on, I ain't finished yet, bro. I would even go as far as to say that, you know what? I can kind of relate to Abraham's struggle. a lot of pressure when you're married to a beauty queen, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, I know you speak about your own wife, isn't it, brother? <laughs> and so Abraham's like, you know what, Sarah? Fear that this is not going to go well for us because you are so beautiful, so attractive, that these guys are going to want to kill me for you. That's literally what he's saying. They're going to want, you are so attractive and so desirable that they are going to want to take my life in order to have you. So rather than give them need to feel like I'm a threat to them, just tell them that I'm your brother. Now, there was a half-truth there because they were half-siblings. Sarah was his half-sister. Now, I know all of, all of a sudden some of you are thinking, you know what? Don't talk to me about beauty queen and all that, right? Man's married to his sister. That, that's not right. You have to understand, thank you, my brother, context. One of the things we understand is that at this stage in human history, the human gene pool was not um, as affected by the corrupting um, impact of sin. And obviously, you know, people say, oh, where did Cain get a wife? Da -da -da -da. He must have married his sister, so on and so forth. These things went on in, no, in that era um, as means of populating the earth. And because the impact of sin on the human gene pool was so minimal, they were not the kind of defects and um, dysfunctions that occur when you have sibling in a marriage or parental child. I'm, I'm sure some of you have seen those, those, those um, situations. Sometimes you see them in the like, Sunday magazine or on the, on the website and so on, where you have a lady posing with a, a younger man and you, you read on to find that it's the mum and the son in romantic relationship talking about they want to be married. We understand that that's an abomination. 
this era, in this context, it was nothing like that. <clears throat> but nonetheless, the Egyptians did see in verse 14 of chapter 12 that Sarah was very beautiful. And they, she was so beautiful that they did start talking about her around the palace of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh did take an interest. And when he saw her, he did take her to himself. And yet, she wasn't for him. She was for another. <laughs> and as a result, he experienced a great deal of problems to the point where he turns to Abraham because God put the problems on him. And he realized this and he says, Abraham, what have you done? Why didn't you tell me that this was your wife? You know what? Take her and go. Come out of my country. And so Abraham took Sarah and left. And so in this, Abraham was in fear of his life. He was in a situation that he felt was beyond his control. It was beyond his ability to control. And as a result, he, he, he sought to manufacture and manipulate circumstances in order to try and secure his safety. But God had already promised him, I will make you a great nation. And Abraham was already married to Sarah. And in that, he should have done what? Trusted God as he went there. He should have trusted God. And yet, as his faith was afflicted, he stumbled. And sometimes that's the case for us. Sometimes we face situations where we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. We're tempted to try and manipulate circumstances, especially of those of us who are control freaks to some extent or another. And I like to have everything just as we like it. We take organization to another level. We don't just want to organize things. We want to organize people. We don't just want to organize people. We want to organize people's minds. We, we want to organize people's wills. If we had the power, we would organize all circumstances, even those which are beyond our control, but we don't. And in those scenarios, we're conf confronted with our limitations. Has God got you in a situation where you're facing circumstances beyond your control? Circumstances that scare you? Trust God. You may have even already flopped and tried to take matters into your own hand. Trust God. You see, God ordains challenges. These things come to challenge our faith. James 1, 2 tells us. When we face tests, when we face trials, fundamentally, they're not testing our ability because we don't have any ability. They're testing our dependence upon God who has all the ability. 
And God will ordain tests and ordain trials. Who do you think brought the famine? God will even give place to Satan, as we see in the book of Job. And yet in it, we know that God is working for our good because through it, he's seeking to reveal himself to us that we might know him. And in knowing him, trust him. Look at Abraham. Abraham sees Pharaoh take his wife. You imagine, I don't, we don't know how long it was for. N nights, weeks, months. You imagine what it was like for Abraham in, in that time, however long it was. Thinking my wife is with the Pharaoh. My gosh, she's gone. It's over. Furthermore, if they find out, they're surely going to kill me. And yet, look what God does on Abraham's behalf. Look how God intervenes and just settles the matter. Praise be to God. There's a principle in this. Do not forget in the dark what God has said in the light. The late Pastor Chuck Smith, he's the founder of Calvary Chapel um, from back in the 70s. Died a few years ago. And um, he was rich in years. I think he was up in his 80s. Late on in years, he was diagnosed with cancer. And... Um, at this diagnosis, people were just like, you know, oh, this is a great man of God. How is he going to deal with this? And he was interviewed by one of his um, pastors that he had discipled. It was Greg Laurie. And everybody was waiting to hear Pastor Chuck. People used to call him Papa Chuck because he was just like the granddaddy, you know, the granddaddy of the faith. And Greg said to him, you know, Papa Chuck, how do you, how do you deal with this? this diagnosis of having been diagnosed with cancer? How does it affect you after all these years of serving God? And he turned around and he said this. He said, one of the things I've learned is you do not forget in the dark what God has said in the light. Early chapter 12, God was speaking in the light. No pressure, no conflict, no tension. God speaking to Abraham. And yet, the dark clouds loom. Test comes, the trial, and Abraham so readily forgot in that dark place what God had said to him in the light. And we, as we see this and we see the outcome of what God done, we should be encouraged. You should be encouraged. Because God is faithful. He is true to his word. He is true to himself. And so even when we see in chapter 13, Abraham find himself in a situation where he and Lot have a disagreement, have a contention. Verse 1 of chapter 13, Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Notice that place again. I ask you to flag that in your mind. He's back on track. He's back on track. God, you may have gone through a situation where, you know what? You, your life has been taken off course. 
either by circumstances or choice. Maybe you've made some bad choices, you feel, and you, you, you're just lamenting those choices. And you see how it's derailed your life and it's detoured you. And yet God is able to bring you back on track. Nobody is too far gone for God to reroute them back on track. I know um, us men, we can, we can relate to that. Because we don't follow instructions good. We don't follow directions good, right? At least so I'm told. I don't feel that's the case. But that's what I'm told. The, the problem is, when I'm, told, when, when I'm told it often by my own sat-nav. You know when you hear recalculating? It's not just the time that it adds to your journey that hurts you. It's the blow to your pride. You mean that I actually took a wrong turn? How did I miss that? But it always brings you back on track, right? And so does God by his spirit. Be encouraged. God is able to bring you back on track. And so, he and Lot are there. And they come to a place where they've outgrown each other's company. Literally. Now, you, we understand that Lot was Abraham's nephew. And the Bible tells us that both of them, in verses 5 to 7, had herds and flocks and servants. And it got to the point where they were so, both of them were so increased in, in um, manpower and possessions and, and animals and so on, provisions, that there was contention between their servants and it, it was hard for them to live together. They were family. And yet they had outgrown each other's company. I know that there's a few 20-somethings that can relate to that. Living at home, <laughs> making progress in life. Maybe you've just finished your degree or you're coming to the end of it. And, you know, you've been enjoying the, the free life in the house. It's great to live at home, you know, on one level, because it's free. <laughs> Not if you live in my house still. <laughs> but if it ain't free, it's cheap. there are other issues that would even cause you to feel like, you know what, I can't stay here anymore, you know. <laughs> I keep having to be told I can't put my things here. Keep, keep having to be told I have to pick up this. All these expectations. I just feel like I've outgrown this place. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big woman, you know. I'm a big man, you know. I need to have the freedom to just stretch my wings and be my own person and make my own decisions. Yeah, until the bills come. <laughs> and you see, you're in that situation and you realize that <laughs> you've got to try and opt for the lesser of two evils. 
<laughs> Somebody needs to hear this today. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. <laughs> you need to opt for the lesser of two evils. Am I going to move out, have freedom and bills? <laughs> or am I going to stay home and find a compromise and try and harmonize the differences? Well, either is an option. The Lord can help you in both. But be wise in it. <laughs> Make the most of the freeness. I will tell you that unashamedly. London's a very expensive place. Make the most of it. But that wasn't the case for Lot and Abraham. They came to a point where it's like, okay, look, we've got to part ways. Verse 8. Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we're kinsmen, we're family. You know you can choose your friends, right? But you can't choose your family. Sometimes, not even sometimes, is there a family represented in the building that never has any strife, any beef, any issues, any tensions? I see little baby... Naomi put her hand up just as I said it, you know. It's, it's, it's all right. You're soon, your time soon come, Sister Naomi. <laughs> this is the thing. We can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. Lot was Abraham's family. You know, Lot invited himself along. Abraham didn't even ask him to come. Lot invited himself along. And yet, at this point, as family, there was contention. Now, the thing is, for me, right, and I have to say this, it's really important that we have to understand that that saying is equally true for our spiritual family. Because some of us carry on like, you know what? What goes on in our physical family, in our biological family, is one thing. But what goes on in our spiritual family ought to be another. And we have this picture of family, like we're family, you know, like the Mitchells. We're family. That it's going to be a, a, an absolutely seamlessly happy life where everyone is just moving in the power of God's spirit all of the time and there's never any issues, never any tensions, never... That's a myth. Amen. From the Old to the New Testament, you see that. I mean, you look in the book of Acts, you see people in the family getting killed by God. Contention amongst the family when the food's being distributed in Acts chapter 6. And it keeps going. And when you really look at the Bible for what it says, you see that actually the family of God is as broken as any other family. We're just people who have come to the healer. We're people who have recognized that healing comes through Jesus Christ. And so we've got to have grace for one another. We've got to have mercy toward one another. We've got to have compassion and long-suffering, patience and endurance toward one another. It's immature of us when we start throwing our toys out the pram and getting an all in a strop because things don't go our way in church. We don't get heaven until we get there. We just get a glimpse right now. We get a taste of glory divine 
When we get to heaven, there will be no more issues, no more tensions, no more strife, no more gossip, no more back chat, no more disrespect, no more any of that. But until we get there, we need to work through it. This, this is what we see happening here, Abraham and Lot. And Abraham being the mature, the bigger man, he says, look, don't let there be any issues between us. Let there not be any strife between us. All of the lands in front of you, choose where you want to go. Abraham, as the elder, gives Lot the choice. Now, for many of us, we know that's strange. Because we just have to think about dinner time. That, that, that piece of chicken that we had our eye on. And it doesn't end up on our plate. And we're wishing we had that kind of level of choice. But it's gone to the elders. Because respect, respect due to whom respect is due, isn't it? But Abraham, as the bigger man, says, look, choose where you want to go. And in this we see Abraham act with a confident assurance. Maybe in this instance, Abraham is just meditating on the fact that, you know what, God's got me. He's promised me a land. I don't have to grasp after anything. Let Lot take what he wants, because I know whatever God gives me is good. Any way you bless me, Lord, is fine. Listen, when you are assured of God's favor towards you in Christ Jesus, you do not grasp after things that... Uh, it's, it's just unnecessary because you know that God has got you. You don't allow your insecurities and vulnerabilities to overwhelm you because your trust is not in yourself, but it's in Christ. It's a mark of maturity in the life of the believer when they're willing to let things go. Let there be no strife between you and me. Take what you want. And so Lot does. Lot looks around and he sees the Jordan Valley. I want you to think Miami. Palm trees. Still waters. Lush vegetation. Provisions. City life. Five cities over there. And so he's like, okay then. That's where I'm going. Little does he know, as he chooses based on the, the values of his superficial outlook, he's chosen to go to the place that is most wicked. Lot chooses Sodom. And in verse 13 it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked. Great sinners against the Lord. These are the kind of choices we make when we're not walking by faith. These are the kind of choices we make when we're not seeking God's will. Things that look good on the surface, things that look good on the, out, on the outward. Now, we don't really know where Lot is at in terms of his relationship with God. But we know that he can't live off Abraham's faith. You can't live off your mom's faith, your husband or your wife's faith. 
You can't live off your pastor's faith. You've got to know God for yourself. And Lot, Lot didn't. What Lot should have done, really and truly, what Lot should have done is this. Not even gone and done his homework and said, you know what, let me go and kind of take a survey, go and go on Zoopla, find out what the, um, you know, the, the, the properties and the, the communities like and da-da-da-da-da. No, what Lot should have done, he should have said, no, Abraham. Father Abraham, you know what? You're my uncle. You're the bigger man to me. I defer to you. You've given me the choice, but God forbid, you choose. That would have been wisdom. That would have been righteous. Lot, Lot grasped at his opportunity and made a superficial choice. And so let's pray that the Lord give us wisdom in our decision making. Let's pray that God give us wisdom in our choosing. Certain people, and I say to, to, to singles all the time, especially single men. I was talking to somebody, if I was to mention his name, you would know him, but I'm not going to mention his name. <clears throat> I was talking to a young man, talking about, you know, is that that stage in life where he's now considering marriage and so on and so forth, somebody he's interested in. And um, I said to him, bro, please, 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 please. Please, please, listen to me good. Please, do not choose someone based merely on the fact that they look wonderful. Please don't. Please don't. Please. Please. <laughs> and look what happened to Pharaoh. That was Pharaoh's portion, right? Looked at Sarah. She looks wonderful. I've got to have her. And he just took problems upon himself. Now, I'm not saying, and I think it's an unfair um, generalization or stereotype that beautiful women are hard to live with. I'm not saying that. Some people would say that. Some men would say that. I don't go for women that look too great because they generally know it. And they just have attitude and da 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 It's a generalization that's an unfair one. Nobody would like us to be looked on and, you know, as a black male, well, then you're, you're a robber. Or, well, you know, it's, it's a stereotype. But at the same time, not under any circumstances should anyone be choosing someone based purely on the fact that they are pleasing to the eye that they look attractive, that they look desirable. <clears throat> Lot chose Sodom on this basis. Sodom. And we hear that and we think to ourselves, we shake our head and we're like, Lot, what was you thinking? Sodom. The men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. <clears throat> and let us learn wisdom as we look at Lot's mistake. And let us remember when we are not seeking God's will, he will let us go to a place that leaves us no other choice. Think about that. When we are not seeking God's will, he will lead us to a place that leaves us no other choice but to cry out for his will. Because for those who are familiar with the rest of the story, and you can read it in the following chapters, Lot found himself in a place where 
not only his very safety, but that of his children, his daughters, his family, was in jeopardy due to the wickedness of the people in the city. They wanted to drag out his daughters and sleep with them and have sex with them out in the street. Breaking down his door in order to try and achieve that. He experienced fear, terror, and heartbreak as a result of that choice. Let us pray that God gives us wisdom to seek his will. Wisdom to make healthy choices based on godly principle. After Abraham had given Lot the choice in verse 14, God said to Abraham, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the whole of the land, for I will give it to you. This was God's promise reaffirmed to Abraham as he took steps of assured faith. Now, in chapter 14, <clears throat> Abraham has to go and rescue Lot because the kings of Sodom and the surrounding four cities went into war with the northern kings of four cities. In chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, the, then the king of Sodom, of Gomorrah, of Adma, of Zeboim, of Bela, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Chedolama, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Eleazar. Four against five. So you had these five kings from Sodom and that area going against these northern kings who they, whom they had been serving. But the northern kings won. And so Lot was taken captive. And having been taken captive uh, amongst those who were, if you like, prisoners of war, they were the spoils of war, one of Lot's servants escaped. And they came and they told Abraham what the situation was. And we see a situation where Abraham, hmm, imagine, Abraham and his servants go and rescue Lot from these five kings, from these four kings who had just overcome five kings. We see that Abraham and his 318 servants in verse 14 of chapter 14. When Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained, trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them. And they didn't just defeat them and then pursued them, run them out of town. And then... Verse 16, he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. So he goes and he rescues Lot. 
at risk of his own life. <laughs> Parents understand that feeling of having to go and, go and rescue children from, from situations of their own making. Sometimes they're bad choices, sometimes they're overcome by circumstances. But parents can relate to Abraham in this situation. My young person is in a situation where I need to now go and intervene and help. And there are times when you feel like, actually, am I even going to be able to manage this? Abraham just had 318. He had a small troop. But though they were few, they were strong because God was with them. And although the situation that you face might seem great and overwhelming, trust God. Because with God, you are more than a conqueror. You and God are the majority in every situation. And so Abraham rescues Lot. <clears throat> and from verse 17, we, we, we see a mysterious character come on the scene. A mystery man. We've heard of a beauty queen, now we're hearing of a mystery man. <clears throat> and we see this mystery man come. He gathers with the kings. And in verse 18, we're told his name is Melchizedek, king of Salem. And that this Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So we see that God was the one who gave Abraham the victory. And yet, Abraham was being declared blessed before all of these kings. This Melchizedek is a mysterious individual. In Hebrews 7, we are told that Melchizedek is one who has no father or mother or genealogy, which is strange in Israel. Everybody knew who their parents were. If you were not named amongst the people, then you had no credibility. Who are you? He had no genealogy. No father or mother, no beginning or end of days. Hmm? In fact, we're told that the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of Salem means king of peace. Salem, shalom. This individual is a very strange individual. Really is a mystery man. And the way in which he comes to Abraham, God's chosen one, and he blesses him. It suggests that he is of greater authority and in greater standing with God than Abraham is. But at this point in, in the history of God's people, there is no priesthood. Where did this priest, priest of God the Most High, where did he come from? Where did he even learn his craft as a priest? How did he, like, there are too many questions. And then on top of that, what does he do? Randomly, he introduces bread and wine. This is why I love the Bible, you know. 
There is such detail in the Bible. It's so intricate that it bears the fingerprints of the divine. The hallmark of God. That this is his word. How many thousands of years is this pre-Christ? How many hundreds of years is this before Moses and the Exodus? And yet we see the symbolism of bread and wine being introduced at the point of blessing. There are many theologians and scholars who call this mystery person a, a theophany or a Christophany, which basically means an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. You say, but Jesus wasn't born until Mary and Joseph. And, but actually, Jesus pre-existed his birth. In the beginning was the Word. So the Word was in the beginning. And in order to be in the beginning, he was, had to have been before the beginning in order to be in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this is said to be a, a, an Old Testament appearance, a pre-New Testament appearance of Jesus. Now some would debate that, and um, that's okay. Our salvation doesn't hang on who we say Melchizedek is. But we recognize that God introduces this character into Abraham's life and into salvation history that we might recognize a forerunner, a, a prototype of him who is to come, who is the true king of righteousness, the true king of peace, the one who didn't just give bread and wine, but gave his body and his blood, which we now symbolize with bread and wine. Jesus, the Redeemer. <clears throat> it really is. And I've only got five minutes. <clears throat> and so we see this instance of God blessing Abraham and again reaffirming. You see how God is working with Abraham, constantly reassuring, constantly reaffirming. I'm so thankful for the Lord's patience and his compassion. Even in my weakness, the Lord is by my side, constantly reaffirming his word to me. Even when I lose sight, even when I'm doubtful, even in the victory, when I could get just proud and, and, and thinking that I've done this, God is constantly reaffirming his presence and his grace. This is what God does for his people. And so by the time we get to chapter 15, we see God yet again reiterate, restate his promise to Abraham. This promise that speaks of Abraham's, Abraham becoming a people in the place of God, being prospered by God under God's rule and blessing. In 15 verse 1. God says, Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Some translations read like this. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. 
your exceedingly great reward. God's saying, I am your great reward. So many times we're looking to things, looking to God for things rather than looking to God, the God of things. Once we have God, everything else is taken care of. And this was God's word to Abraham. Fear not. I am your shield. God has been his protector in Egypt under Pharaoh. God had, as God had been his protector when he was there giving Lot the choice of the land. God had been his protector and his provider as he went to go and rescue Lot from these kings at his own risk. God is faithful. He is your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And yet Abraham, faltering in faith, look at all that the Lord's just done. And yet he comes back to that place. Lord God, verse 2, what will you give me? For I continued, like, you, Lord, what can, what can you give me? Like, there's any, anything you can give me don't mean anything to me apart from you give me a child, Lord. I'm childless. And one of my servants is going to be heir to my estate. And yet, the Lord reaffirms to him, verse 3. Sorry, verse 4. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside, verse 5. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number the, number the stars. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we're told that Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. You see, when the Bible speaks of the fact that salvation is by faith alone, it's not just speaking of our eternal destiny. Some of us are happy with the destiny that God has put before us and yet find ourselves in the temporary saying, okay, so now what have I got to do? As if it's all down to us. As if God is going to offer us an eternal destiny, but leave us hanging in the temporary. Leave us to our own devices. Doesn't make sense. God is faithful. God is faithful. And in his faithfulness, he has promised to take care of the here and now as well as the hereafter. And so would you trust the Lord? As the Lord works with you on your journey, walking with you where you're at, do you trust the Lord? Do you have faith, even if it's faltering? You see, Abraham was a man of faith, but he wasn't a man of perfect faith. And some of us think that in order to really be rated by God, recognized by God, we have to be a people of perfect faith. Jesus healed a man. Jesus spoke to a man and said that he would heal him. And he said to the man, do you believe? The man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. That was an honest man. I know that you can do it, but you know what? Somehow, I don't know if you will. 
God can work with that. Jesus healed him. And so even though our faith may be imperfect, we're called to trust in the Lord. Because that's what faith is. Trusting in God. And a very practical thing that has helped me is understanding, so how does faith work? We see faith works in the reliance upon God's word. Just rely on God's word. Rely on what God has said. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make your offspring like the stars. And Abraham believed him. He trusted what God said. And my heart burns to see us as a people esteem God's word as being so holy, so sacred, so powerful that we believe it, we stand on it, and we would even stake our life for it. We, like the, the, the martyrs of old, like the martyrs of present day, who so believe the word of God that they're ready to even put their life on the line to testify to its truth. Because this is the word of God that he's given us. And so God faithfully reiterates his plan and his promise to Abraham. And he goes on in the following chapters and in chapter 17 in particular to to ratify this promise by taking an oath and having Abraham indulge or engage in this act of recognition of God's commitment by introducing circumcision as a mark of the covenant. God is faithful. God means what he says. In all of this, we see something. There is the expectation of the offspring, but Abraham's not him. There's the expectation of the offspring. Pastor Rob spoke about it from Genesis 3.15. The one who was predicted, who was promised, who would come and defeat the enemy. And yet we see that Abraham is going to go and sleep with his fathers, that his offspring are going to go into captivity. Verses 13 to 16. And God tells Abraham specifically what's going to happen with his people in such a way that it serves as a testimony and its strength to them when they enter into captivity later on towards the end of the chapter, um, to the, towards the end of Genesis. In verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, Abraham, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. 
for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. As we walk with God, he doesn't give us the whole story, the whole picture all at once. Some of you are seeking God's will for your life. You're considering what step shall I take next? What job should, uh, am I supposed to give myself to? Where am I supposed to move home to? Lord, please give me wisdom. And you kind of sense that it's a time for change, it's a time to move, but you don't have the details. Maybe you're feeling a little frustrated, a little anxious, because you like to know the details and be in control and have everything planned. But as you continue to trust God, he will make his will known step by step. And sometimes all you see is the, the, the path in front of you for you to step on. But as we're walking with the Lord, that's enough. Because he is faithful to shed more light in his own time. Amen? And so, despite the affliction that you may face, trust that God forges faith in that place. And when I say forge, I don't mean forgery. <clears throat> Not fake faith. But I mean establishes like a silversmith who puts silver in fire and heats that furnace and watches the heat of the furnace closely so that it doesn't get too hot and spoil the silver. And he keeps putting the silver back in the furnace until the point at which he can see his own reflection. And then he knows that silver is pure. And although our faith is tried like precious metal, in those moments when the Lord sees his face reflected back to him in our faith, we're able to be encouraged that he is doing a job well done. Amen? I'm going to ask the team to return. And um, as I pray... Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.